0: Hey, everybody. How are you? I hope you're doing well. Hey, let let me ask you a question. Do you know your why? Do you know your why? Uh, Mark Twain would say this. Mark Twain is the guy that said that the two most important days in anybody's life is when they were born and then when they knew why they were born in other words that that something happens when you understand why you've been created why you've been placed on this earth why you have past uh uh, why you have purpose in life and meaning in life and so the question is, is is do you know your why and and or what are you singing are you singing your what are you singing your why because there's great difference in those two things when you and i understand our why it like changes everything and the danger is is that you can do life long enough, you can be in relationships long enough, you can do church long enough, you can be a Christian long enough, to where now it, all becomes, it becomes all about the what. It becomes all about what we do, not why we do it. And listen, let me tell you something, whenever you get into that place of life and you lose track of your why, and it's all about the what, it, it, the life is just sucked out of you. Because now, from a spiritual standpoint, it's just about some religious things that, that we do. See, Nehemiah, we're in this series, Building Without Blueprints, and Nehemiah is broken. He knows his why because Jerusalem is like in ruins. Jerusalem has been destroyed, the church has been destroyed, families have been destroyed, the community has been destroyed because of it, and, and for 70 years they've been trying to rebuild. They've been trying to rebuild the church, they've been trying to rebuild families, and they've been trying to rebuild a community. And for over 70 years they've been unable to do that because they they didn't know their why and they had blueprints. And so all of a sudden, Nehemiah gets his why, which gave him purpose and meaning and life. And as a result of that, Nehemiah is going to take a group of people, he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to rebuild first the church, then the families, then the community, and he's going to do that in 52 days. Something that they've been trying to do for over 70 years because, see, Nehemiah knew his why. He not only knew his why, but he he spent enough time to develop a plan or develop blueprints so here's what the Bible says as we walk through this and and I'm telling you I'm going to take you on a journey that God started me on in August and I'm going to tell you about something that happened in my life back in August and which has changed everything about this issue of the why here's what Nehemiah says Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11 he said so I went to Jerusalem and I was there for three days. This is after he got permission from the king. If you were with us, there, with us last weekend, you know this. He got permission from the king. He's on the way. And he says, then I rose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do in Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and expected expected inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. In other words, the gates, the walls had been destroyed so much he had to like dismount and lead his horse under it. Then I went up by the night by the valley and inspected the wall. I turned back and entered the valley gates and so returned and the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing I'd not yet told the Jews the priests the nobles the officials and the rest who were to do the work and so at this point nobody knows the Nehemiah's why Nobody knows what God has placed in Nehemiah's heart, and so this why was like a burden to him. This why is the thing that kept him up at night. This why for Nehemiah is this thing that drove him in his life, and so the question for us is, do you know your why? See, Nehemiah knew his why. Nehemiah 2, 3 says, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why? This is his why. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and is?" gates had been destroyed by fire in other words nehemiah's why was to help people in pain he saw the people in pain the families the church had been destroyed families had been destroyed families were fragmented there weren't deep relationships there was no community and all of a sudden nehemiah started moving towards someone else's pain in other words, Nehemiah wasn't the guy that saw some people's pain and just kind of turned and looked the other way. Nehemiah was that guy that walked towards their, their pain. And so this, this issue of our why is just so important in life because you cannot live life with passion unless you know your why. You cannot sit, serve with passion unless you know your, your why. And listen, after the last couple of days after the inauguration and been just watching the news, and you, you realize how deeply divided our country is. Our country may be even more deeply divided than I, than I even thought. And that's why it's more and more important for Christians, for believers in churches to know their why. Because of the type of society and culture that, in which we live. I mean, why do, why do we do what we do? Why, why do we do church? Why, why do we bring people in? Why do we do community? Why do we follow all those, all those why? You see, this is so important to me because... Well, let me tell you what happened in August... I, I sub on a, a men's uh, golf league, and so that means every week I'm playing with, with someone new. I just show up, and they, they assign me to someone because they always need a sub in, in a golf league, and that's why you get to play golf for free, and so that's why I play in a golf league, and so... Uh, so. And so I, I showed up and they assigned me to a local businessman um, and we inter- I'd never met him. He would never met me. And so, you know, we were playing golf and, and um, it, it, it always comes to that type, time in a, in, in a golf game when you get to that point to say, hey, what do you do for a living? Listen, when you're a preacher and you're on the golf course, it is always fun when someone says, so what do you do for a living? Because a lot of times, you know, there's four letter golf words and then there's four letter not golf words, Right. And a lot of times, they're using a lot of four-letter, non-golf words. And then all of a sudden, they look at me and they say, hey, what do you do for a living? And I always say, I'm a pastor. And then you can see it just goes through their mind, like they're going through every word they've used, everything. And so he says, hey, I got to tell you, if I had known you were a pastor, I wouldn't have said that back there. I'm so sorry, and I'll try to do better. And he says, so what, what church are you at? And so I told him, I'm, I'm at Fellowship of the Rockies. And he goes, okay, he says, so I, I'm born and raised in Pueblo, uh, I'm, I'm not a Christian I'm spiritual I believe God's within all of us and and that God's in and we're all God's children God's in us and and that we can live out you know if we do more good than bad and that whole deal and, and so he showed me some of his religious tattoos and what they meant religiously and he says but I've, I've never been in church and so he said but I've always wondered about your church and he said um Uh, I understand it's a large church I mean I that's just what I hear so how many people do you have on the weekends and so I told him and so he he said a word that's not a church word he's like wow and you know whatever and so he's oh I'm so sorry and he says, so how many services do you have? And I told him and he was shocked again. And so he says, so aren't you the church that every Christmas Eve and Easter that uh, you rent out like the event center? I go, yeah, I said, so how many people do you have at that? And I told him and he's like, I can. I, I am having trouble believing this. He says, I go to a lot of concerts at the event center. I mean, I've seen Sticks, I've seen Foreigner. I've seen uh, Credence Clearwater Revival. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen some pretty big bands. And some of those bands, just so you know, they are not, they do not have the attendance that you have at the event center. This is like, I, I, I can't understand this. So is this one church? I said, no, it's just one church. He says, this is unbelievable. So he says, so I'm a businessman, so I got a question for you. He said, why? Why is that? Why do people come to your church? I go, I don't, I don't know. He's like, you don't know. Aren't you the pastor? Maybe, maybe, I mean, I I don't know. I don't even know if I like playing golf with you right now. (laughs) He goes, no, I'm a business guy. It's about the why. Why do people, why do so many people cop? Why do people come to your church? And I'm like, I don't know. He goes, you got to know why. I don't know. He goes, do you, do you think it's because you're probably a, a really good speaker? And I go, no, I, I, think, I think I'm average at best. I said, I, it may be because of the people. I said, we got some really, really great people at Fellowship of the Rockies that, that they'll accept anybody from any background, any way of dress. I mean, I mean we don't judge. We're not, we don't use guilt. We don't, maybe that's, and he goes, that's not a what." He goes, why? And so, you know what? I started telling but only thing I could talk about was the what. The number of services that we do, we do some preaching, we do some worship, uh, we help some schools, we, we minister to the poor. And, but, you know, can I tell you this? The why isn't very compelling to any, the what isn't compelling to anybody, right? Fact is, you can be a Christian so long, you can live so long, you lose sight of the why. You can be in a marriage so long, you can forget why you even married them. You can forget why you married him, why you married her. And you can come to the place that it's all about the What? Where life is about the what? It's about grocery shopping. It's about fixing some meals. It's about a job. It's about chores. It's about, it's, 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 about, it's about some kids. It's about the details. And you know what? Whenever that happens in a relationship, when a relationship is all about the what, doesn't the life get sucked out of the relationship? Sometimes we need to be reminded of the Why? Sometimes we need to be, re- and see, this is what was happening to me on the golf course, I, and so, so it, 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 it sent me on a journey about, God, I'm, I'm going to find out the why. Obviously, I've lost sight of the why, and I'm going to find out. So I started asking myself questions. Why, why did I leave engineering for, for ministry? Why, 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 did I, why did I leave Houston, Texas with family and friends and, and relatives that live minutes from me and go to a city that, that I had never lived in before where I didn't know anybody? They didn't, they didn't talk like me. They didn't eat the same food as me. And they don't even cheer for the same football team as me. <laughs> and now that you've brought that up, Many of your emails that I received this last week, <laughs> subject condolences. I'm paid to see through stuff like that. That was not helpful. <laughs> in, in the 10:45 service, there was a group of people when when they saw Pastor Dwayne come out and start talking. And they says, you know, we looked at the bulletin, you were preaching this weekend, and Dwayne's coming out, and he's preaching, and we thought you were just too far in depression that you could not even preach this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? I'm over it. You know, the first thing I did once they lost is I called the pastor on call line at my own church for ministry. <laughs> so I, I started going back through journals, and so I came to... A, a group of scripture, and that's what I want to talk to you with Nehemiah, but uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse th- one through eight. When, when we started Fellowship of the Rockies, I I was kind of like the PR guy. I was kind of like um, I did I did the what, what we called home meetings. And before we ever launched the church, I would just people would 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 say that that they wanted to that they wanted to start a church with us. Then they would get. 10 or 12 or 15 of their friends to come over for dinner. And I would go into the home, we'd eat dinner, we'd meet together. And then I'd talk to them about Fellowship of the Rockies, this church, and, and say, would you like to be a part of what we're doing here? And I always use Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. And so I, I told the Lord, I says, well, maybe the why, maybe the why isn't there. And it is. And, and, and so here's, here's what the scripture says. This is a church service that's going down. Jesus is, is like the guest preacher. Because Jesus is there, I mean, the place is like packed. You can't even get into that place. And so starting in verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. So Jesus is preaching. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, So the scribes are teachers of the law. They're really important to to this story. said to themselves this man is blaspheming but Jesus knowing their thoughts so he asked a question why here's what I learned in scripture 97 different times in the gospels Jesus asked people why why do you think that why do you do that why did you say that why is that in your heart so the why mattered to to Jesus in fact is Jesus knew his why there were several times Jesus say take me to the other side of the lake so that I may preach and teach because that is why I have come Other times Jesus would say that I have come. My why is to seek and save the lost. So the why is important to Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, asked, why do you think evil in your hearts? He's talking to the teachers of the law. For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God. They worshiped uh who had given such authority men so I, real quickly i want to i want to give you three things and, and and i just want to today really i really be a day that maybe we all examine that question why why do i follow christ why am i part of a church why why did god why do i have purpose why did god put me on this earth because that's the only way to have passion the first thing is this is you got to remember is that is that god uses people god uses people in other words, maybe another way to say this is, is God uses people. God desires to use you. Uh, God, God, God has a job to do, and God wants to do that job through you. See, this is what was happening to Nehemiah. We'll look at that. This is what happened in this passage, verse 2 out of, I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. He said, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. So now, at that point, he's talking about the why. This is the why. I mean, people are in pain. Uh, people, people don't have good relationships. The church is devastated. Come, let us, let us together, because God uses people and God wants to use you, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of uh, the hand on, uh, of my God that had been upon me, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And listen, our king has spoken words to us, our king has given us instructions. And so he goes on and says, and they said, let us rise up, build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. And then the New Testament, Jesus said in verse, nine, verse two, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, so this man's paralyzed. So, so Mark and Luke tell us, they give us more information than Matthew did. But Mark and Luke tell us that Jesus is preaching these friends bring this paralytic, this man that was, was, was confined to a bed, they bring him to church. They couldn't get in because it was so packed. So they go up, they poke a hole in the ceiling, and they drop this man, and they interrupt a worship service, and they drop this man right in front of Jesus. In other words, these men saw that they had a friend that was paralyzed in their pain. In other words, a lot of us, we see the pain of other people, but we kind of ignore it, right? We see the pain of others and say, hey, kind of that sucks for you. And we go on about our life and see not these men. These men were totally different. They didn't they didn't tell the paralytic just about Jesus. They didn't tell that there was hope in Jesus. They just didn't invite them to church. You know what they did? They said, we'll bring you to church. I mean, we'll take you to church. We don't want you to have to walk through the doors and, like, not know anybody and be awkward. Fact is, what we're going to do, we're, we'll get you there. We'll take you to church. So these guys moved towards Jesus and, and brought them to Jesus. Listen, there is something inside of you that God wants to stir up. Church is not just to sit and receive. It is, de- it is to know your why, is to be able to see the hurt and the pain. Listen, can you imagine this, a worship service, and they drop this paralytic in front of Jesus while he's preaching? Then all of a sudden, Je- I mean, Jesus has to do something. There's a, there's a reason he did something. There's a reason because he sent a message. He sent a message to the teachers of the law. Listen, it's said that Jesus saw their faith. We don't know whose faith he saw. We don't know if it was the paralytic that allowed the men to bring him to church. We don't know if it was the men that brought him to church. We do not know as a way in which the congregation was worshiping and bringing in the presence of God. We don't know what it was, but we know that Jesus saw something. He saw something different. And then he sees this man, and here's also what we know from Scripture. This man was a paralytic. He, he wasn't a paralytic. He wasn't paralyzed from birth, but it was because of a sin that he had done. It was his own fault. The way that we know that is because before Jesus healed this man, he forgave him of his sins. There's times in Scripture when Jesus would heal someone, and he wouldn't forgive them of their sins. He just healed them. That meant that they had that illness. They had that problem since birth. See, this man wasn't like that. So what it tells me and what it should tell you is this, is that man was paralyzed because of his own dumb decision. He, he had sinned. We don't, we don't know what it was. We don't know. His, we, we, we just know that he did Listen, Are we willing to see a community in pain and are we willing to move towards them? Are we willing not to judge someone when they're in pain because of a wrong turn they made in life, because of a decision they made in life, because of a sin that they actually did in life, and now all of a sudden they have pain, are we willing to move towards their pain? In the elders meeting, we spent, I'm telling you, we spent such a long time just talking about the pain of our community and saying, are we going to move towards the pain of our community or are we going to move away from it? I mean, can can you as an individual can you wel- welcome people who are far from God and not judge them? Do you look for people in pain? You know, if you're like me, I like to look, but I don't like to keep looking. Right? There's a difference. I like to look for people in pain when it's convenient to me and my schedule, but to keep looking. And if you're like me, sometimes it's hard to keep looking. Sometimes, You know what? Sometimes it's inconvenient to keep looking. Sometimes it's easier to notice someone in, pain, someone in pain and say, well, it's sad for you. I'll pray for you and keep walking. It's a different thing to go on like a mission trip to Haiti for a couple of weeks and get some kids around you and take some selfies and, and post hashtag, I love people, I love Jesus. And do that for like two weeks and to come back to the States and for 20 years love my neighbor because i got a neighbor that's hard to love i got a neighbor next to me with a lot of hanging fact is he is messed up isn't that true sometimes it's harder to keep looking than to just look and turn your head and see this wasn't them do we see people in pain and do we move towards their pain will be be the kind of community that jesus was forming around himself and This man that caused his sin and caused his conditions, he's dropped right in front of Jesus and he's still laying on a bed. And Jesus didn't look down at him and say, you know what, it's your fault. We don't know what he did. We don't know if he drove a camel drunk and had an accident. But Jesus never told him, it's your fault. Should have never got on that camel when you were drinking. What did you think was going to happen? You know what? It's your fault. It's because of your dumb decision. It's because of your wrong turn. You know what? It is your fault. Now, you just lie in the bed that you've made for yourself. You live with it. See, that's not Jesus. Jesus moved towards this man's pain, and I don't know about you, but I am so thankful. There was a time in my life, in my 20s, that I was paralyzed, not physically, but I was paralyzed in my sin. My life has totally fallen apart. I'd made some pretty bad, dumb decisions. I'd made more than one wrong turn. And my life was crumbling before. And I came into a church, and I was fortunate. I had an aunt and uncle that brought me to church. And God didn't move away from my pain. He moved towards my pain. See, I always feel like I'm preaching to one. I always feel like I'm preaching to the paralytic. I always feel like I'm preaching to the one that comes into our church service that believes they're paralyzed in their sins and they can never be forgiven and they can never be set free. And they're almost a little bit embarrassed even to be here. See, because that was me. And we're here for everybody. I get that. I understand that. But I also know that there is a group of people that have society's kind of given up on. And there's a lot of times we treat them with less grace and less compassion. Are we actively looking for people in in pain? Because there's there's a lot of people that say, you know what? If I don't understand your pain, if I don't think your pain is legit, if it's because of your wrong decision, your wrong turn in life, you made your bed now lie in it. But that's not Jesus. Jesus moved towards this man's. Remember the woman caught in adultery? She's caught in the act. And these same group of people, these scribes, these teachers of the law, they drag her out into the city. And they're going to like stone her. And that's with rocks, just so. I always clear that up in Colorado. <laughs> I don't want someone to come in for the first time and say, cool, what a church. <laughs> see these men had totally missed her pain they were teachers of the law they should know better you know the danger you know what just for free you 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 know what jesus said in the gospel of john he said this it is possible to come to the place to where you know so much scripture you got a bible that's like falling apart you've marked in it you've memorized stuff you've got stuff italicized and all of those other things But the love of the Father is not in you, and the love of people is not. Have you ever met someone like that? They may know a lot about Scripture, they may know a lot about God, but you look at them and say, "Do you even love people?" Scripture says the opposite. Scripture says is that when that we should come to the place when we grow in Christ, and as we know more Scripture, it could should cause us to love God and love people even more. And these guys had totally missed that—like no grace, like no compassion. And Jesus takes and and he affirms this man in the midst of community. In other words, there was a community of relationships to affirm this man in. What would happen if nobody came into community here? Nobody had relationships. Nobody belonged. Then there'd be no community to affirm people when they come in. So the first thing is this, is God uses people. The second, second thing is that people matter to God. Listen, people matter to God. Even people that you disagree with. Listen, just while we're on this. uh, While we're in this political season that we're in. People matter to God. Even people that you disagree with. Even people that voted differently than you. Even people that have a different political stance than you. Even people that have different beliefs than you they matter to God they matter to God there's a lot of people who say you know what I'll I'll move towards someone's pain as long as I agree with their pain as long as as long as they're able to thank me as long as they're able to reciprocate you know and Jesus talked about that says anybody can love the lovable and anybody can love those that are going to return your love but it you take someone special that can love the unlovable Uh, here while back our our grandkids we have three but we have two grandsons uh, Gavin and Micah and Corey and Brittany go to Woodman Valley uh, Chapel in the Springs. And so their children's ministry was teaching the kids how to how to care about the poor, how to give, how to how to help the poor. So they're doing this food drive. And so their children's ministry told them, says, you know, next week, you guys, every kid bring a canned good and we're going to give the canned goods to the to the kids, to the to the poor and so Micah his life is all about food and so Micah I mean Micah got into this and so right when Micah about three and so right before uh the service they went to church the next weekend uh Brittany takes the boys into the food pantry and says okay pick out a canned good you're going to take it to church we're going to give it to the poor explain that whole deal Micah got excited he picked out a can of green beans he wanted to give them green beans and so he could not wait to go to church and he goes into his his classroom and he's so excited and and then Church is over. Brittany and Corey go back to pick up Micah. Micah is a basket case. He's crying so hard they can't even understand. I mean, they cannot even get a word out of him. So they get him to the car. They don't even start up the car. They don't even drive away. They're trying to get out of Micah. Micah, what is wrong? And finally, Micah got to the place where he could get it out. He could talk and he said, My teacher would not make my green beans for me. He thought he was going to a potluck. <laughs> Micah was okay giving the green beans as long as they blessed him with green beans back. <laughs> you know what? That's a lot of us. We don't mind moving to towards someone's pain as long as they're going to love us back, as long as they're going to be nice, as long as they're not going to offend us. But see, this isn't what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking, and listen, let me tell you something. The reason that, that he affirmed him, he was, he was sending a message to the teachers of the law. He said, that scripture that you know, it should cause you to have more compassion. That scripture that you read and that scripture that you profess in following me, that should cause you to love people more. That should cause you to welcome people and not judge them just because they're different than you, but they believe different than you. And so Jesus talks directly to this man and he says, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So anyway, he said, take heart. In other words, he encouraged him. Isn't that the first step? Don't we all need to be encouraged? Doesn't it? Don't you gravitate towards people that just naturally kind of encourage you? And so the first thing that jesus listen, this guy, he caused this. And the first thing that Jesus does is encourage him. And then he says, my son, this guy wasn't even a Christ follower yet. But what he's doing is he, he could see the best in this guy. He could see what this guy could become in a relationship to him. Shouldn't that be how we could see people? Even if they're different than us, we could say in a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything could be different. And then he said, your sins are forgiven. And it was forgiveness and redemption. And then verse six again, he says, and that you may know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. He said to him a couple other words, rise, pick up your bed and go home. In other words, rise, pick up in your bed. That that addiction, that habit, that false belief, that thing that is paralyzing you now in your life, that cycle that you keep going through in life and saying, I'll never do it again, but somehow you do it again. I'll never say it again, but somehow you say it again. I can set you free from that. And that thing that has been carrying you, you now can carry it. That thing that's been carrying you, you can now have victory over that. It doesn't have to carry you any longer. You can carry it. You can have power over that. And then he says, "Just, just go home. And Have a ministry because God desires to use every one of us in verse 8 The congregation said when the cr- crowd saw it They were afraid and they glorified God who had given so much authority to men The last thing is this the why changes everything the why changes everything the why has, I'm telling you God is doing a re- has done a renewal in my life since I've been reminded of the why Why changes everything in Nehemiah chapter 3 he said I, I, I said to the king let the king live forever. Why should, not my, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? In other words, why should I not be sad when they're in pain? Why should I not be sad when the community is, is, is struggling? And so out of this came fresh language that will unite all of us in a, in a vision statement. And just here it is. It's just so simple. Is that our, our vision for our community and for our church is to see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, empowered, serving God in the way that he has designed them. When my, when my golf buddy asked me next year, hey, why do you think that is? I can tell him. Because we, we want to see people encouraged. We want everybody to know that in Christ they can be totally and completely forgiven. For those that are in Christ, we want to remind them that you are totally and completely forgiven. We want to see people set free. Set free from addiction. Set free from habits. Set free from lifestyles, Set free from false beliefs. We want to see people living in the freedom of Christ. And we want to see them empowered to where they understand that God lives in them and what God wants to live through them. And serving God in the way that he has designed them because we want them to understand that their life has meaning and their life has purpose. Fact is, that's even, even for us as a church body. When I talk with people, I go through this and say people need to be forgiven. I mean, people need to be encouraged. People need to know that they've been forgiven. People need to know that they can be set free and they don't have to, they don't have to deal with that stuff any longer. And I walk through that process. Listen, I'm telling you, when you know your why, it changes everything. Many of you have asked, Karen and I, with, and many of you know our story, that we have a daughter uh, Brittany with, with a brain tumor, and she's had two brain surgeries. She's just finished chemo and radiation, and so in February, we're waiting on an MRI. We're praying that it's clean. And and um, but you you guys have asked us, how can you guys continue to minister and to serve with joy? How can you? Do, you know why that is? Because we know our why. When you know your why, circumstances no longer matter. When you know your why, your why becomes stronger than your situations and your circumstances. I was reminded of this uh, of Saturday. As, as you know, Corey and Brittany have, a, have adopted one child, and now they're working for emergency situations with social services. And so, so on Saturday, we get a text from Brittany, and it only showed kids' feet. And she says, hey, Mom and Dad, count the feet, and we'll call you later. And so I'm sitting there counting the feet, and I realize, oh, no. There's another pair of feet in that home. I was expecting six and there's eight. It's an infant. So I thought, doesn't Brittany know she has a brain tumor? She has cancer. She's walking through chemo and radiation. Then I thought, she knows her why. And when you know your why, Your circumstances, your situations no longer matter because you know why you've been created, why you've been placed on this earth.